Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho. It's a festive time of year, Sid. That's right, it is, the Justin. stockings are hung by the chimney with care. Well, I don't know that we took a lot of care. I just threw them up there, honestly. There's a hook. There's a, a, a nail. I just yeah. did it. We do have an inflatable Santa in the front yard. I did that with care. You do you that? Did. You do that wrong. He's uh, going to get a hole and... I'm going to have to say not nearly as much care as my dad puts into his Christmas decorations, yeah, to it, be fair. It is impressive. If you are uh, on uh, 64, Interstate 64, <laughs> right around... I'm sure you all are, and if you're not, get there right now. Get there right now on your holiday travels, right around exit, uh, I think, what is that? Exit 16. Ten, exit 10. 10. Right. Well, no, exit 16. Mm-hmm. Right around Hauger Boulevard exit. Just look to your right, and you will see. You're not looking at the prison. Don't no. mind the Skip Go the past prison. the prison. Go past the prison, and, and then, you'll see. Then you'll see my parents' house. Uh, your, your, you'll see uh, her dad's display from the highway. You can see it. It's like a beacon. He has so many uh, inflatables in the front yard, and they're all kind of spread out all over the place that it kind of looks like this weird inflatable graveyard. It's beautiful. Haunting. <laughs> Uh, there's a message, and I think there's a there's a puzzle in everyone. You got to put together the clues to solve it. So go wander around my parents' yard. Go for it. <laughs> Preferably after dark. That won't freak them out. Sid, the holiday season uh, means a lot of things to a lot of people, but I'll tell you the thing: a lot of people use to get through it, and that's drinking. Well, that's true, Justin. Alcohol you- is a key component, especially as you get older. You know, holiday cheer—the sort of excitement and vibrance you have for the holiday as a child has to be chemically um mm. you know chemically uh, infused as sure. you as you grow into adulthood you, you sound like you have a lot of experience with this uh i mean i'm not gonna sit here and deny that i've had a a, a cup of something cheerful as i heard peter o'toole say this week <laughs> really like uh are, are you are you looking forward to your wassail my wassailing holiday this wa- <laughs> the wassail's the drink you know, right? a little isn't bit it of the, uh, the, mil- the drink yeah. the milk of human kindness oh you know what i'm saying right uh but here's the problem booze. Booze. booze you drink and 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 you think this is great this is all going great <laughs> i don't see any downside and then oops twist there you're addicted to it very badly that's true and so i think in the spirit of the holiday while you're all celebrating and having your um, mulled wine that you're drinking and mm-hmm. your champagne on New Year's. Um, 
Who has the I'm going to make you feel bad about it. <laughs> I don't understand mulled wine. Who has the time? Who thinks I'm going to want to drink wine in an hour or so? And when I need a drink, I need one then. I don't have the patience. I think this is the problem. Have you had mulled wine? No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've had it. It's freaking good. It's really good. It's, it's just really a lot of pre-planning good. that I can't quite. Sid, it's I'll, like potpourri and alcohol mixed together. Potpourri you can drink. You know when you're a kid and you eat potpourri and you think, that didn't taste like what I thought it would taste like. Mold wine does. Tastes uh, like potpourri. Sid, alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, it so, is, so keep this in the back of your mind when you're raising your glass. Yeah. <laughs> in this festive season. <laughs> season. Uh Said alcoholism, we have, it is obviously still a problem for a lot of people, um, and it is something that we have tried uh, time and time again to find an, an easy way out of. Of course, there is a foolproof cure for alcoholism. What's that? Just, just stop it. Stop it. Well, stop drinking. Well, Justin, I think there are a lot of addiction specialists who may argue with you there. It, listen, if you can do that, it's foolproof. Right. It's a little more complicated than that. Foolproof. Right. Um, but let's not get into the, you know, pathophysiology of alcoholism. Quit and, it. And, and we're not going to talk about a lot of real ways to fix alcoholism, because what fun would that be? Yeah. And the, and it, to be fair, through everything I'm talking about, those efforts were in place. I mean, if you are ever interested, because I found a lot of this information when I was researching this topic, there's a rich history of Alcoholics Anonymous and the the early groups, you know, the Native Americans first had like sobriety groups long before, you know, we ever had the term AA, um, which is pretty interesting back in the 1700s. So wow. if you want to read the history of alcohol, like actual alcohol treatment, it's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about Boring. that. Boring. I want to um, talk about fake stuff. Give me something good, Sid. <laughs> so um, alcoholism, of course, like just about anything else we've talked about, was initially seen as um, either a moral problem, you know, it was a vice, you were just a bad person because you couldn't stop, mm-hmm. uh, or it was some sort of religious issue. You were, you know, possessed by a demon or you'd fallen out of favor with, you know, whatever chosen deity your your culture worshipped. I think that is called having an external locus of control, right, Sid? Exactly, exactly. So I don't, I don't know what is up with alcoholism. This is this demon. <laughs> Blame this demon. It's something outside me, and I have no impact over it. So what they would do at the time was, you know, either uh, punish you for drinking because it was your own, you know, moral failings. So you know they would lock you up or beat you or put you to death or whatever, or um, they would just pray for you send you to churches and and lay hands on you and pray to gods and light candles and and I'm, hope that you got cured i'm gonna go with the second one that sounds like the treatment path for me i didn't i don't know everybody <laughs> you must just not be praying hard enough please give me more i'm, I'm gonna sit here and drink while you work harder at that keep praying please <laughs> i'm so broke i'm so i'm so drunk I'm so drunk please, please i'm trying help. to pass out pray harder <laughs> pray harder I don't know. I didn't find any cases where they tried to exercise somebody who was alcoholic. I really searched. I really would love to know if they actually did an exorcism on an alcoholic, but I'm right. sure they tried it. Everything that has ever could happen has happened. So I would assume that has happened at some point. <laughs> um, by the 1800s, we're kind of we're just kind of skipping around because um, a lot of things were tried for alcohol by a lot of different groups of people. I mean, all the way back to the Egyptians talked about the importance of moderation and, you know, not getting drunk and not drinking every day. So, I mean, this is not this is not something new. Um, 
But they began to try, and I think we mentioned this in another episode, opium therapy for alcoholism in the 1800s, simply because even though they knew that opium was addictive, alcoholism was such a bigger problem that at the time it was thought, well, it would be better if we could just get everybody hooked on opium. Sure. That's a, that seems like a better, that seems like a much more mild, mild addiction to have. Now, obviously, that seemed like a good idea for about five minutes, and then and then everyone realized it was a really terrible have idea. Have seen people on opium? They are not better. <laughs> this is not working. No, no it's not better. This, I, this is always a real lack of critical thinking on our part. I think that the idea was that people on opium were just kind of chill and like laid around and slept a lot and weren't very productive. But people on alcohol, which is true about alcohol, people who drink want to go do stuff like drive cars and party and, you know, not that they wanted to drive cars in 1800. Right. <laughs> people on people on alcohol can see the future. Whoa. Um, they also tried some early aversion therapy. Like uh, they told a lot of this was uh, wives would do this to their husbands because alcoholism initially was a a very male problem. Mm -hmm. You know, your husband went out and got drunk and came home and, you know, wouldn't take care of of you and the kids and wives were angry. And of course, eventually this would give birth to temperance and all that. Mm -hmm. But uh, so you could try putting a bug in your husband's drink. I mean, kind of a temporary fix. But it might buy you a few minutes, a few blessed minutes of sobriety. <laughs> now, they realized that your husband, hopefully, hopefully, was smart enough to see the bug in his drink, not drink the bug. Um, so it, it started to become popular to put things like Ipecac in your husband's drinks. That's why sometimes, okay, you've been doing that to me because a few times I've thrown up after I drank a lot. So that is what and happened. That, right, that is the most likely explanation. Perfect. <laughs> um so the idea, it's, it's like I said, aversion therapy. You would drink something alcoholic, you would throw up violently, and then you would not want to drink something alcoholic anymore. I mean, that seems, again, it seems a little short term to me. It, it was, and, you know, I will say that nowadays there is a medication, antabuse, a disulfiram that's been around for a while that does the same thing. It's a pill that you take, and if you drink alcohol while you're on it, you will become violently ill. Wow. Um, but obviously you have to know you know, that's part of our, we have to tell patients what we do. So uh, they have to know they're on it. Thanks, government. <laughs> thanks, Obama. It's actually kind of a good idea. Yeah, right. Um, but I want to talk about, as we as we move through this time period, there was something called the Keeley method, the Keeley cure that became very popular. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Justin. I have not. It was, this is a big deal. So it was developed by a guy named Dr. Leslie Keeley. He was from Dw- Dwight, Illinois. And he saw, I will say this for him, he was the first one to look at alcoholism and say, okay, these people are drinking so much that it's destroying their lives, you know, they're, they're causing themselves bodily harm, they're, you know, causing their wives or husbands or family members bodily harm, they're, they're losing their jobs. This is a disease. This is not something that is within their control, because clearly if they could control it, they would stop. So this isn't just a vice. This is a disease. Mm-hmm. So just like any other disease, it needs a medical cure, which was actually pretty progressive. For what time period are we talking about? Like We're talking about like the um, late 1800s. Okay. Yeah, late 1800s, because he was, prior to this, he was a a surgeon in the Union Army during the Civil War. So we're talking about the 1800s, going into like around 1900 when this kind of fell out of favor. 
Um, so like I said, he initially, he was an Irishman. He came to the U.S. He was a surgeon in the Union Army, um, and he saw a lot of alcoholism. And his theory was that uh, alcoholism was caused by toxins from alcohol, tobacco, cocaine, opiates, all basically all the bad stuff. Okay. So all this stuff gets in your body, and it causes some kind of illness that makes you want to keep drinking, even though it causes you harm. And so he came up with a medicine that would rid your body of all those bad toxins. And that as soon as you got this, you would become a sober person. Wow. <laughs> well, why do we solve problems with alcoholism then, Sydney? Well, because, I mean, it didn't work. Okay. He, um, but it didn't work in a in a really monumental fashion. I mean, <laughs> it it didn't work for the five hundred thousand people that he initially he eventually would treat, and, and at the one hundred and eighteen treatment centers where he operated. Oh my God! So he was like failing all over this great land. It was a giant placebo. Um, he it was basically if you want to know what was actually in the the Keeley cure, it was a. Uh, bichloride of gold is what he would call it. Um, it was some kind of injection. You would get this injection four times a day. As to what exactly was in it, we're still not entirely sure. Um, we think there was strychnine. <laughs> we think there was maybe some, there maybe was some gold. There was probably a lot of sodium chloride, salt salt water. Um, this is Maybe un- some atropine. <laughs> this is a uniquely American story, Sid. You have someone who stumbles on to a very right idea, like uh, alcoholism is a disease, and then his immediate reaction is, how can I scam this? How can I make a big swindle out of this? How can I make some money off this? How can I make some coin off of this revelation? (laughs) And I mean, he did. He he claimed a 95% success rate. Obviously, there were probably a handful of people who did, you know, who, because of placebo effect, and this is true of any, you know, pseudo medicine, any pseudo drug, that there are going to be people who respond to it because of the placebo effect. Right. But other than that, there was no like science behind what he was doing. And he really, he would line these, these guys up and he would give them, you know, it was mainly men. Again, it could be women, but it was mainly men. He would line them up and give them shots of this stuff. And then he would actually follow it with a tonic. And this treatment course was i believe four weeks so you did this for four weeks and you were cured forever um and the tonic was especially adapted to you so everyone's tonic was said to be different and it you know so you would take this tonic every two hours get these shots every day and in four weeks you were cured that's it he also would um fill the syringes with a little bit of uh dye so that they would all be different colors Oh, that's so that, good. Yeah, some were blue and some were red, and uh, he—it was very. Don't tell me this guy didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> uh, he, you know, it, all the literature says he really believed. He really believed in what he was doing, except for the fact that he was dying it, so he could be like, "Oh, this is my special Zeke <laughs> sauce, just for you, Zeke. It's a special potion I made just for Zeke. Um, you and you alone can enjoy this purple." Tonic that I made just for you. Don't get it confused <laughs> with the red Jake sauce. That's just for Jake. You don't want to take that or you'll start drinking you'll again. You'll start instantly. drinking again. You'll drink as much as Jake did. And we all remember how much Jake drank. Now this is for Zeke. Now let's not give Jake a hard time again. Poor Jake. <laughs> Jake's right there. Single tear. Um, it was, which is interesting, kind of an inpatient treatment center. And they were locked away from access to alcohol. Uh, they were very calming, <laughs> peaceful environments. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, so, you can have a 95% success rate if you put people in sober jail. <laughs> yeah. 
Then you're relying on the five people who are crafty enough to like trade booze for cigarettes in the prison yard. Like that's <laughs> cheating. Um, it I, it did give rise to I think first of all, if we want to talk about good things, it, he again he was the first one to recognize alcoholism as a disease, not just you know a life choice. And secondly, it, I think it gave us some um, great slang terms for if somebody was in rehab. It used to be popular to say that the patient had, or that so and so has gone to Dwight, <laughs> and that means that the patient is, or that the person. I always call people patients. Sorry, yeah, sorry. That means that they're currently in rehab, so they've gone to Dwight, or they're taking the Keeley cure, which is a little more obvious. But that persisted well past, um, you know, the the rise and fall of the Keeley method. Gone so. to Dwight. Let's get it going again. Yeah. So if you want to say something cool now, if if you got a friend in rehab, just say they've gone to Dwight. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned sober jail. Sober jail. And that actually was something that uh, that they did. Sober jail. There were hospitals. Well, they weren't called jails, but they were called hospitals. But they were inebriate hospitals. And basically, they locked people up for a year. I see. I, I don't know if that would be I, on the one hand, like I, I could see how that could be effective because you would develop a, a lot of like habits and patterns that did not revolve around drinking. Like they tell you with smoking that it's it's hard to say you've really quit until you've gone through a year because then it's like, I've been through all the different things that I will go through and you know have no longer have those patterns associated with it. But I could see how it could also like, the moment you get out, yeah, you know, you you haven't really changed in your day to day life, like the patterns that exist, like in your group of friends and in your family and and that kind of thing. Right, because you're just locked up. You know, you can't you can't exist in your usual life. So as soon as you leave, there's a high risk that you'll just return to your old habits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, what was sad about that is that in areas where they didn't have an inebriate hospital, you could just um, lock them up in an asylum. Um, yeah, putting alcoholics into, um, you know, psychiatric facilities was a popular thing to do. And the treatment for them was basically don't let them drink, uh, give them a restricted diet. It was supposed to be healthy, but it also was minimal food and cold showers. So our, our, um, so our plan of action was to lock them up with genuinely insane people. Right. Because that's what alcoholics need, something to forget. <laughs> that will help. <laughs> that will make them all better. Yeah. Um, Got something then, you don't want to think about. But, you know, the, it, there was a step worse. If you didn't have a local psychiatric facility, do you have an almshouse? Just put, stick them in a poor house. Yeah. Do yeah. you have, and if not, do you have a prison? <laughs> and they're really, they, they, they imprisoned alcoholics because they didn't know what else, how else to help them. Um, they felt that they were a danger to society because they would get drunk and do things. And so they just locked them up. Now you couldn't do that. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have a spare bed for an alcoholic. Well, it's also, I, I would say it's unethical. That would be my argument. Uh, but if my the argument. person submits himself to it, I mean. I don't think you can voluntarily be we incarcerated. Lock, we lock people up in jail overnight for charity sometimes. Uh, same thing. What, what are, are you talking about like in Mayberry? <laughs> Like old Joe the bum doesn't have anywhere to sleep tonight, <laughs> okay. so we're gonna lock him up so right. that he has a warm bed. What All are right. you talking we're about? Done here, Who does on. that? Like charity. We'll be like, I'm in jail. You gotta give a bunch of money to the St. Jews and get me out. Like that kind of oh, thing. Oh, who does that? I've, I've heard that's of, fake. I don't I've think that's real, it. honey. I've I don't think they're it. really in jail. 
It's actually the setup for my new horror psychological <laughs> spiritual thriller. What's it called? Jail book. Jail book? <laughs> I'm sorry, I panicked. Jail book? How do you set up a joke like that and you don't have a good punchline? Jail book. Jail book? Jail book. Out this Christmas. Jail book. Jail book. Get it now. It's a book. <laughs> it's two pages long. That's all we got time for. Christmas is in less than a week. <laughs> all right, Cindy, give me another treatment. So um, we talked about opium. Uh, Freud had a different take on it. In the This is about the 1880s. He advised cocaine. Okay. Yeah. So Step get it up. It. Freud was a big fan of cocaine. It also would get you off opium, by the way. <laughs> so, so you could become an alcoholic and then cure that with opium and then cure that with cocaine. Now, how you cure the cocaine? Hey, that's not his problem. Yeah. Freud's done with you now. Um, aversion therapy, we kind of mentioned it before, but it became more, um, you know, again, these became something that you would try at home, like, you know, wives would try on their husbands, and then it became something that, like, people would try in the medical community. And so um, giving the patient a whole lot of alcohol so that they wouldn't want any more was, became popular. Kind of like, um, you know, if your dad caught you smoking, he used to make you smoke a whole pack of cigarettes to right. punish you. Yeah. I've heard that that happened. That never happened to me. No, me neither. But uh, it was the same kind of idea. Um, and this included not only would, would you have to drink a lot of alcohol under your whatever physician was you know administering this cure, they, they would saturate all of your food, like all your snacks, all of your drinks, everything with whiskey. So everything you put into your body was totally soaked in whiskey. So they actually like uh, predicted w- what has become a pretty major food trend in the last couple of years bourbon soaked everything there you go Except we but, invented it back then but it, here's some it doesn't work here's a spoiler for you no whiskey's delicious it just tastes good it tastes delicious now i don't think this part was delicious they also would spray your clothes with whiskey uh-huh. and soak your sheets in it <laughs> that is just uncomfortable i can imagine that after a while of being you know hung over on whiskey and wearing whiskey clothes and sleeping in a whiskey bed mm-hmm. you may not want whiskey anymore i read a book about a kid when i was in elementary school who everything it was like king midas sort of but everything he touched and dr- ate and drank turned to chocolate and at first he was like sweet and then it, after that it was like Ugh, enough so do you wish that now that would happen to you only with whiskey no, because like it in the book it worked, so I guess that was maybe what they were basing this off. Of. Oh, <laughs> the okay. book about chocolate that I read when I was eight. And it, you know, it's <laughs> they, that's exactly what they they again predicting the, the future, predicting the future through alcoholism. Um, you know, did it work? Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's one of the things when you read about this. I'm sure there were a handful of people who said, "Forget this." This is I, I'm totally grossed out. You know, I mean, like it was like that one time that I got really drunk on tequila and ate a bunch of Cheez-Its. And then like for five years, I couldn't drink tequila or eat Cheez-Its. Right. Yes. I remember this time in your life. Right. I mean, it's over now. So, I mean, there's an expiration date on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they also tried shock therapy. Uh, again, probably not very successful. No. Um, at least not for alcoholism. No. Um as we move forward, like in the 40s and 50s, uh, more and more we were trying to find what if there is there a medical basis for alcoholism? Is there something that we can test, like some hormone level? Is there something that we can target to, you know, 
fix with a with a medication with a drug um and the theory became popular that it was an endocrine disorder part of your endocrine system going awry so your endocrine system your hormonal system this includes like an endocrine disorder for instance that you may be familiar with would be diabetes Ah, okay okay so they thought though that it was a problem with your adrenal glands which are two little glands that kind of sit like little hats on top of your kidneys they <laughs> How do. Adorable. They, they look like little hats and they release steroids and hormones and all kinds of things but uh the idea was that this was some kind of problem with your adrenal glands so we're going to give you um, steroids and various synthetic adrenal hormones and that'll work it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. No. Yeah, I, I thought you were about to say that. No, it doesn't. And then you get all the side effects of steroids. Perfect. Big muscles. No, awesome. not not muscles. those kind of steroids. Oh, okay. No, you like, get like puffy cheeks and you gain a lot of weight and you can get like a hump back and yeah. you feel really like moody all the time and angry. Mm. And you know, people who are on chronic steroids, they can tell you about it. It's not a fun, not a fun treatment. Um. They also tried just injecting alcohol in people. I mean, it's direct. If you want to get the party started. That's actually what the song Shots, 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 Shots is about. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. LMFAO. Are you sure? They read a history book for once. Uh Uh-huh. All their songs are historical. That would be, I think that if that's what you're going to do, like if your bar, if your thing at your bar is that we give you injections of alcohol, I think that seems cumbersome, mm-hmm. like a health hazard. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to deal with needle disposal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kind of sounds like a club Stefan would describe. <laughs> it does. It sounds exactly like a club Stefan would describe. Um, so, you know, injecting alcohol probably didn't work. Um, they started all kinds of things that they discovered for other things, like antihistamines. We know that they work well for allergies, maybe for alcoholism. Um, oxygen therapy, just give them a whole bunch of oxygen. Or how about opposite, some carbon dioxide therapy. That seems like a really bad idea yeah, to me. Yeah, that, that being poison and all, it seems like that would be hard. Well, you could handle a little bit of that, but not a lot. Um <laughs> And if you were a smoker, which a lot of people back then, and we're talking about the 50s, used to be smokers, mm-hmm. um, that was pretty bad for you if we pump you full of carbon dioxide, because you're just going to hang on to that and get really, like you're going to go into respiratory depression. Yeah. But you won't want to drink. <laughs> Probably not, because you're unconscious. <laughs> um, they even tried, they even started to develop neurosurgeries, and we've kind of gotten into this before, where I don't know. Let's go around and poke Just around in your brain. A take a chunk out here and there. Find something that looks like a bottle and <laughs> remove cut it, it and scalpel. see what happens. Um, on the on the more mild side, in the same time period, they were they were trying things like for some reason it was believed that eating red meat triggered a desire for alcohol. Yeah, I actually <laughs> I could cop to that one. I think that's accurate. I I guess that that's I don't know. I want a hamburger and a beer. I want a steak and a glass of wine. Sure. I can see. I can see where that came from. Um, so they thought if you could eliminate red meat, it would cure it. Um, and then, of course, everything else was subject to hydrotherapy. Why not alcoholism? Yeah. Just put them in the tub. <laughs> put them in the tub. Again, I at least like I, the th- one thing I will say about hydrotherapy, at least it's benign. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you will be relaxed afterwards. I mean, it doesn't work. And I mean, some of it was kind of weird where they were like, we're just going to, you know, uh, spray water at your feet at a really high pressure. Hold still. <laughs> Take that. But, I mean, it's benign. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the idea of, uh, you know, inebriate hospitals and locking people up. And one thing that we didn't talk about is that 
um, while they were locked up, you know, and before they were released, they were kind of under the control of uh, the doctors or whoever ran the facility. And one really sad part of this is that women who were locked up in inebriate hospitals would be sterilized before they were released. Jesus Christ. History, can we not have one episode that's just funny without you, like, sterilizing women and minorities? Can we have one funny episode that doesn't get ruined by your actual genuinely terrible practices? Just one. No, nope. nope. we have to find a way. Every disease process is an opportunity to victimize I just you know, want to. Those wanna, with less power in our society. My, this whole show for me now is just about finding one ailment that we didn't say. Like, well, have you tried sterilizing women and minorities? That usually does it for us. That'll like, do it. That'll do it. Why not? Um, they didn't do that to men, though. So there you go. I pff, the, I can't believe it. The theory was that, of course, if you were an alcoholic, you'd give birth to an alcoholic. So, which are largely benign. Like, yeah, it's too, like, I don't know. I, I don't mean benign. It's just, like, is that the, such a bad thing for society that we, that's a different, but see, like, that's also, I think we had a different sort of, um, th there was a real demonization. Of, I mean, this was, I imagine, in, like, the lead up to the prohibition, right? Like, Well, it's, you know, yeah, because. Where it was seen as, like, the source of all the societal evils when it's sure. actually more of, like, a, a you know. There, there's a, there's a systemic problem. Right, yeah, yeah that, precisely. That, I mean, it's true that at the time, you know, the idea of, like, the greater good, and we're talking about a time when, you know, eugenics was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so to do things that would hurt the individual in, in pursuit of, like, creating a healthier society was, I don't want to say it was acceptable, but it was certainly a theory at the time. Um, but obviously sterilizing people is wrong. Unless they unless they ask you to unless they like you know come in and they're like hey I'd like to have my tubes dyed but otherwise it's wrong yeah um, you know they of course we've talked about it before but of course they tried frontal lobotomy on alcoholics um, and it usually again didn't work um, but there was a great quote I found this this they'd rather have a frontal lobotomy than a bottle in front of me did you just make that up no oh that well, was pretty good thanks I didn't make it up. Who are you quoting? I forget. Oh, okay. Good job. Thanks. Um, I'm going to quote somebody. It was something I heard on Dr. Demento when I was 13, so cut me some slack. <laughs> I'm going to quote somebody. Hit me. So I found a great book called Slaying the Dragon. Is it Morgan Freeman? Because if you found a quote attributed to him, it's probably not correct. No, it's not. Okay. It's attributed to uh, William White, who wrote uh, Slaying the Dragon. And it, this is a book that's actually about kind of this topic and more. Um, it's about the history of addiction treatment. You know, so not just alcohol, but other substances. But I found a lot of interesting stuff from his from his work. But um, he describes after one uh, frontal lobotomy that um, you may remember the names Dr. Freeman, Dr. Watts. We talked about them in the lobotomy episode. So one uh, time when they tried this, uh, this is how he described what happened afterwards. Uh, following the procedure, the patient dressed and pulling a hat down over his bandaged head, slipped out of the hospital in search of a drink. Freeman and Watts spent Christmas Eve 1936 searching the bars for this patient, who they eventually found and returned to the hospital in a state of extreme intoxication. So tune into the Hallmark Channel as Mario <laughs> Lopez stars in Runaway Christmas. I, that would, that <laughs> would starring, make a starring great... Melissa Joan Hart as Drs. Freeman and Watts. <laughs> now where could he be? 
Christmas is coming. They fall in love at the end, and also there's an angel. <laughs> Surprise. Um, you know, continuing our th- our our kind of uh, trend of drugs being used to treat uh, other addictions. Um, in the 1960s, LSD was given to patients who are alcoholics. Cool. You know what's actually kind of interesting is it may have worked a little bit. Wow, really? This this actually may have worked, and and they've kind of. Uh, reinvigorated research into this area in more recent year. I think 2006, some, somebody was publishing stuff on this. But basically the idea is that they noticed that when you take LSD, the experience you have is, is kind of similar to when a patient is going through um, the DTs, delirium tremens, alcohol withdrawal. So they thought may, and, and the idea was that when they uh, saw a patient go through DTs, and kind of hit rock bottom, so to speak, that usually, well, not usually, but it was more likely that they would stop drinking afterwards hmm. because of that experience, because it's so uh, scary and terrifying and it's kind of like aversion therapy, let them go through that and they don't want to drink anymore. Um, so since LSD kind of mimics this experience, they thought, well, maybe instead of letting them go through very dangerous DTs, which can kill you, let's just give them some LSD and maybe then they won't want to drink after that. It actually, worked a little bit there weren't enough patients that they tried it on that they could really call it a success but there was enough interesting stuff that it probably would have been researched further if lsd didn't become an uh, illegal drug after that there's a lot of uh uh research like that with hallucinogenics that was sort of uh abandoned despite Mm -hmm. some um some promise i remember on stuff you should know hearing episodes about that were like genuine treatment that that could be generally beneficial for people but yeah absolutely for like different psychotic disorders and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's the truth what are we doing uh now sid well um now we're doing obviously stuff that you've heard of you know in the 1930s aa was founded in the 1950s we defined alcoholism as a disease and there are medications and support groups there's inpatient and outpatient treatment programs there's therapy there's all kinds of different treatments if you want more information obviously talk to your doctor or um check the newspaper where they always have local aa and in a group meetings listed so there are lots of real things i will say that even now there are a couple weird things out there that i found uh there is a wellness site that you can find that promotes um injections over several weeks that will instantly cure your alcoholism um the injections are made of glucose water and alcohol and they will cure you in 30 minutes Mm. and then um kudzu so you know that vine that's growing all over your house that you want to get rid of that has invaded your yard? Yep. Well, don't get rid of it. Grind it up. Get some extract and sell it as a cure for alcoholism. Why not? I think that I was I was kidding when we started this episode, but it, it does, even now in, in these modern times, I think that there's a, a truth to curing addiction, and that is science can uh, support you, but I don't think there will ever be a substitute for actually making the decision that you are ready to quit. There's nothing that is going to do that for you. That's, you know? that's absolutely true. And making that decision isn't, it's not going to fix everything on its own. You know, I mean, that's the important thing to remember with any addiction. You can't just decide to quit and then quit. You're going to need help. There's going to be a way to do it. You're going to need a lot of support. But making that decision is always the first, the first thing you got to do. And hey, we believe in you. New Year's coming up. Let's kick this thing together. Absolutely. All right. So, and thank you so much for listening to our our inspirational uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Took a weird turn Took a there. Weird at the end. turn there at the end. Don't we worry. Know, we'll try to be. We'll try to be more cynical next week. Yeah. Well. Well. No problem. Uh, 
uh, thank you again so much for listening. Thank you to uh, iTunes for choosing us as one of the best new podcasts of 2013. That yeah. Was pretty nice. It was really awesome. It was very nice. Uh, if you think someone you know would enjoy the show, uh, please give a link to our iTunes page um, or just uh, just burn them a CD or something. That's the only way that we can grow is by you sharing the show. You can also go to our Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash sawbones show i think or sawbones mm-hmm. you'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> and like us there and share the stuff there you can tweet at us uh you can tweet um at sawbones mm-hmm. uh which is our show obviously you can Correct. tweet at justin mcelroy or at sydney mcelroy and that's s-y-d-n-e-e thank you to everybody tweeting about the show like mandy dan may uh scrooged tk nolan nick corn kia stacy uh lorenzo nick Rabbit, uh, Chris McIrish Jihad. That's kind of a mouthful. Uh, but thank you to everybody tweeting about the show. Um, Thanks for the pictures of Cloudbusters, guys. Yeah, those are That's cool. just what I wanted. I appreciated that. Uh, and uh, that's going to do it for us. Make sure you check out other shows on the MaximumFun.com network, like Jordan Jesse Go, Stop Podcasting Yourself, Wham Bam Pow, One Bad Mother, Throwing Shade. My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Oh, thank you so much, Sydney. Uh, and, and many, many others. Get over there and uh, go. Have a listen. And have a very, very happy holiday. Yeah. And a very, very safe one. Yeah. Be safe. Don't drink too much. No. And uh, hug each other a lot. Yeah. Lots of hugs. And uh, be sure to join us again next Friday for another episode of Sawbones. Until then, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.